Good morning. My name is Spencer Bros, and I'm the lead pastor here at St. Stephen's. And what a blessing it is to gather with you on this Sunday as we consider who we are in Christ Jesus through our baptism, if we have received the sacrament of baptism, and who we could, can be um, through that commitment that God makes to us as we make one to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that holy sacrament. And as we consider those things today, we take a look at, we will begin by taking a look at Matthew chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's take a moment to just imagine that scene. All that's happening in that moment. We know from other Gospels that John the baptizer has, has developed a following. He is calling the people of Israel to repentance and to following the law and the prophets as God had intended them to do so, but were not. And they were coming to him in droves. He even called them names, you brood of vipers. That was pretty nasty back in those days. Yet they still came. And as they recognized what needed to be done in their lives, they needed to change, they came to the waters of baptism. And the baptism that John had presented to them was a baptism that was simply that of cleansing, of cleansing them from their sin so that they might go from those waters as God's children to do as they had been sent to do from, from Abraham on, to reclaim that covenant that Abraham had made with God centuries beforehand. So there's this crowd around the waters, and I don't think, like my mind wants to say, like the crowds parted and Jesus walked through. I don't think it happened that way, however. I think he just kind of made his way up front. He hadn't really developed quite a following yet. He had done some things, but wasn't really as prominent as his cousin was. He comes up front and, and cousins see each other. Now, I don't know, but the Bible doesn't tell us if this is the first time they've met each other face to face or not, but we know this isn't the first time they've met. When Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John. And in that meeting, John heard Mary's voice in utero, and in the womb he leapt, recognizing the voice of the mother of the Savior of humanity. So he sees his cousin. He at least knows about him enough to, to th say, I don't think this is what we ought to be doing. This is different than what I'm doing. And Jesus encourages them, this is what we need to do. And in doing so, Jesus changes, well, really broadens the nature of what baptism means. 
doesn't change it. It's still that act of cleansing, but it makes it bigger. And we see all of that take place in this moment as you consider the, the magnitude of what's happening with John's story as it interacts with Jesus' story in this place. And as Jesus comes out of the waters, we, we see the fullness of God take place. The Trinity is at work. As the, the Spirit of God descends like a dove, also known as the Holy Spirit, we hear the voice of what could only be the Father saying, this is my Son, my Beloved with whom I am well pleased. And then, of course, there's, the, there's Jesus himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all present in that moment, in that commitment to the reconciliation of humanity to God, to the restoration of who we are and who we are meant to be as cre uh, creatures, those created uh, in God's image and for God's kingdom and God's purpose, all together committed to not just Jesus, but to you and to me. What a, a magnificent moment that is. It's a cosmic moment. It's almost as cosmic as the birth of Jesus when the angels just show up out of another dimension in the field with the shepherds. Almost as cosmic as the tomb being empty on Easter Day. The voice of God, of the Father speaks. The, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, alights upon God, the Son, standing in the waters of baptism. God gives of God's self completely to us to reconcile us, to make us whole. This morning, as we gather and worship, we're going to take time to appreciate our baptism. And to consider our commitment that we make to God as God has committed himself to us. Whether you came to Christ in a Methodist church or not, um, there were similar questions asked at your baptism. Uh, usually the, the formula starts with the generality and pervasiveness of sin and evil and then narrows down to asking about our faith in Christ. Those are the vows that we make at baptism in the United Methodist Church. Whether they were you made them yourself as you came to faith as an adult, or perhaps you were raised in faith in the church and came to the waters as an infant, and those words were said on your behalf, which later you cl took claim to in your confirmation. This morning, I'm going to ask us to consider those words again, those vows of commitment that we make. And before I ask you to just do that, we're going to spend some time in those vows just to take a look at them, to consider what they have to say to us and speak to us so that when we do come to the moment of, of, of renewing those vows, that we're not just simply saying words, but we say them with a, a deeper level of appreciation. In your hymnal, I invite you, if you find a hymnal in the pew rack in front of you, um, these are going to be on the screen later, but now I'm going to invite you to use this book. We don't use these much anymore. They sit in the, in the, in the racks, and, and they're still good. They still work. It's on page 34.
We're going to go through the, the vows in number four and number six, if you keep track of those side notes there, not, but I'll walk us through it. So just to take a few moments just to consider what we're saying, if you want to say them again. The first one is this. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? In confirmation classes, we, we spend time in these vows, and we break that one down into the three words. Um, renounce, reject, repent. We, we focus in on those three words, and then what we're renouncing and rejecting and repenting of. Renouncing and rejecting. Renouncing the, uh, the spiritual forces of wickedness. Understanding and accepting that there is a darkness in the spiritual world that is pervasive and, and present in our world that we say no to. And also rejecting the evil in the world that is the evil of the material world as well. Evil exists in both. And then to take it one step further and acknowledge that we repent of our sin as well. When we renounce and reject, it's kind of this mental uh, uh, acknowledgement of something that we are against. Repentance asks us to take that mental acknowledgement and turn, take it one step further. If you've been in confirmation or Sunday school or heard it in a sermon maybe, the idea of repentance is to turn around. It's that you turn. It's turning away from this thing towards something else. But we, we renounce and reject things that we don't repent of all the time. We just kind of are there and we just kind of live with them. One of the things I think of, it's very simple, sour candy, really nasty sour candy. We put it in our mouth. Our brain and our tongue both renounce and reject that thing which we have put in our mouth. Yet we don't spit it out. We keep it in there for whatever. It's like it's a magnet. We did not repent of that really sour, nasty tasting piece of candy. It's a very basic way of showing that but I think we do that in other ways much bigger and much broader so our vows also ask us to turn away from those things and of our own and our own part in it the next vows um, say do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves the word that we focus in on there is that word accept. Acknowledging that as much as we desire to turn away from the things that take us away from God, that we can't do it on our own steam, that we will eventually and ultimately fail. Yet God gives us the power and freedom to do so. It's not something that happens in a, in a snap of fingers and in a moment all of my desires and temptations, the things that take me away from God disappear, but it's, it's a part of that process. And God enables us through the presence of the Holy Spirit that is a part of our baptism. This is a gift of our baptism. It's not just a ritual where we touch water. Today it's a ritual where we touch water. That's what we're doing today. But in the sacrament of baptism, there is a gift of God's Spirit given to us that gives us freedom and power to overcome the evils of this world. So in our vows, we ask, do you accept those? Do you accept those? And from there, we narrow down to confessing Christ. Do you confess Jesus as your Savior? Put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church 
which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. There are a few things happening in that vow. One is acknowledging Jesus not just as Savior, but as Lord. Confess as Savior, serve as Lord. I confess that Jesus, has, through his life, death, and resurrection, has come into the world, defeated sin, and given me um, freedom and power over sin in my life. And I accept that gift in him as my Savior, and I will serve him as Lord. I give him dominion over my life. Not my will be done, but yours. Confess as Savior, serve as Lord. And then that statement concludes with a statement about the nature of the church and about the unlimited reach of God's grace. That we do all of this in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. And from there we go down to number six. Number five is when a child, infant is baptized and and um, that's for another time. But number six, as we remember our baptisms, that we are baptized, these are the words that are asked. This is the question that is asked. According to the grace given you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? It first speaks of an ongoing commitment to the body of Christ. It's not enough simply to say yes once and, and then live as if nothing has changed about you and go on as if nothing has happened. It's an ongoing commitment or recommitment to the way of Jesus. And then to act as if we are ambassadors of Christ. Paul calls us ambassadors of Christ, representatives of Jesus in the world. We bear witness. We carry Jesus with us as we go out into the world. So it's a commitment of faith, not just an internal faith, but one that is carried with us out into the world. And those are the vows that we recall as we remember our baptism. We're not renewing our baptism. We're just remembering who we are. It's an identity. It's not simply an event that occurred in the past that we might remember, or we might not if we were baptized as an infant. And I'm not asking you to remember the event. We're asking you to remember your identity as a baptized person, as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. In addition to that today, we're also going to do what many United Methodists or Methodists through, for generations have done um, since the time of John Wesley himself. John Wesley is one of the founders of what we call United Methodism. And he developed a, a prayer that is a renewal of the commitment of his covenant to faithfully follow Jesus. And so as we conclude a time of remembering our baptism, we're going to finish that together by jointly uh, praying a prayer, renewing our commitment of faith. So I'm going to, this is not in the hymnal, so you won't, you'll see those words later. But I want you to hear these words before you say these words again. If this is a prayer that you pray. Because this takes us from that place of this ongoing commitment of faith, of serving, of being a representative of Christ in the world. This, is, this puts that into broader terms, into deeper words. And the prayer begins with this first sentence, I am no longer my own, but yours. In some ways, that could be the entirety of the prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. It's a prayer of surrender. 
Not my will be done, but yours. This is almost the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. Take this cup from me. I would rather not die on a cross. Thank you very much. But if this is your will, Lord, let it be. I'm no longer my own, but yours. But Wesley was not a man of few words, so he kept going. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full or let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Everything, everything that we are, we commit to God, to God's will. I surrender. I'm no longer my own, but yours in every way. Do you know the movie How to, make, how to Train a Dragon? Not How to Make a Dragon. How to tra- Train a Dragon. Do you know this movie? Please don't let me think I'm the only one who knows this movie. All right. See, I know there's old people. Yes, thank you. Hiccup. We know who Hiccup is. He's kind of the, yeah, all right. He's the kid in the thing who learns how to train a dragon. That's the summary of it all. However, they would talk about Hiccup in negative terms, and they would point to, they would gesture at him, and they say, you just gestured to all of me. He's like, yes, all of you. All of you. Let me bring it back around to this. All of you, all of us, our entire being, all that God asks for is everything. Everything. That's why there we have that hymn, I Surrender. You got it. You, some of you need to, I'm going to get you a chance to say it again because you didn't feel confident in it, all right? That's why this hymn is called I Surrender. Awesome. Awesome. And then Wesley concludes his prayer this way. And now, O glorious and blessed God, O Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And in the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven and on men. In our baptisms, we are cleansed of our sin. Jesus didn't need to be cleansed of his sin. John, that's, part, that's why John looked at him funny. Why, why are you here? This is not that part of the baptism. But we have been and are continuously being cleansed of our sin. In our baptisms, we are cleansed. We are claimed by God in a new way. And what we didn't read in this text is that what follows that Jesus is sent. In each of our baptisms, we are cleansed, claimed, and sent. And as we renew our covenant, we acknowledge all of that. And we also accept that we aren't doing it on our own. That we do it with God. And we do it with one another. That's one of the gifts that Jesus has left us. He says, I leave you peace, and he leaves us the, the, the Holy Spirit, but he also leaves us the church. This is his gift. Each of us to one another, to help us to follow the ways of Jesus, to live into our baptisms, and to be God's representatives in the world. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, our God, thank you for cleansing us of our sin, for extending to us your wholeness, your completeness, your healing that restores our brokenness. 
to your perfect image. Thank you for claiming us as yours and naming us as your own. And thank you for giving us eternal purpose as your disciples and representatives and sending us into the world that others might come to know your son and that we might fight the evil and wickedness of the world on your behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.